Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about Purdue University and its carbon footprint. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. The massive redwood trees that dot the landscape of Northern California have survived through countless earthquakes and other natural disasters. Some of them are over 1,800 years old, hundreds of feet tall, and more than 90 feet in circumference. Yet the climate crisis may threaten their livelihood as the latest California wildfires have encroached upon the ancient trees, as NPR reported. The California Department of Parks and Recreation said last week that the fire in Santa Cruz County had badly damaged Big Basin Redwood State Park, the state's oldest park, according to Time magazine. Biologists are keeping a close eye on the state's old-growth trees and are feeling some relief that many trees have been spared and the fires have moved around their clusters. They also note that the redwoods' hardiness will help them endure the fires. The trees are protected by remarkably thick bark that can withstand fires and preserve enough strength and vitality to allow the trees to sprout again after suffering from fire damage, according to NPR. In fact, some of the oldest trees have bark that is an entire foot thick. Furthermore, the trees rarely have branches near the forest floor, which helps to lessen the spread of wildfires. The Earth has lost 31 trillion tons of ice in just 23 years, and the climate crisis is largely to blame. The finding comes in a review paper published in the Cryosphere this month that used satellite data and numerical modeling to calculate all the ice that melted worldwide between 1994 and 2017. In the past, researchers have studied individual areas, such as the Antarctic or Greenland, where the ice is melting. But this is the first time anybody has looked at all the ice that is disappearing from the entire planet. Study co-author and director of Leeds University's Center for Polar Observation and Modeling, Andy Shepard, told The Guardian, quote, what we have found has stunned us. End quote. Arctic sea ice, Antarctic ice shelves, mountain glaciers, and the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets, and the Southern Ocean sea ice all lost mass during this study period, the researchers wrote. About 70% of these losses were caused by warmer air temperatures, while the remaining 30% was caused by warmer ocean water. 
the total ice loss recorded matches the worst case scenario predicted by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and it's likely to get worse. The researchers predict a meter of sea level rise by 2100. Quote, to put that in context, every centimeter of sea level rise means about a million people will be displaced from their low-lying homelands, end quote, Shepard told the Guardian. But sea level rise isn't the only consequence of ice melt. For one thing, the melting ice exposes darker ocean waters and soil which absorb the sun's heat rather than reflect it, increasing global heating. The fresh water melting from ice sheets also disrupts Arctic and Antarctic ocean ecosystems, while the loss of mountain glaciers threatens the drinking water of several communities. Especially of concern are the glaciers in the Himalayas, which are the headwaters of the great rivers of Asia. Greenland's ice sheet has reached the point of no return and would continue to melt even if the climate crisis were halted, a new study has found. The study, published in the journal Communications, Earth, and Environment, used more than three decades of satellite data to determine that the ice sheet would continue to shrink even if surface melting decreased. However, the findings are not an excuse to give up on climate action. Quote, We've passed the point of no return, but there's obviously more to come, end quote. Study co-author and Ohio State University professor Ian Howitt told CNN, quote, Rather than being a single tipping point in which we've gone from a happy ice sheet to a rapidly collapsing ice sheet, it's more of a staircase where we've fallen off the first step, but there are many more steps to go down into the pit, end quote. Before 2000, the ice sheet had an equal chance of gaining or losing mass each year. Now, it would only gain mass once every 100 years. Greenland's larger glaciers have also retreated about two miles since 1985. This means more of the glaciers are exposed to warmer ocean water, which increases melting. That is why the ice sheet would continue to retreat if global warming stopped. When it comes to climate change, what happens in Greenland does not stay in Greenland. The Greenland ice sheet is the largest contributor to global sea level rise, the paper pointed out. It currently raises ocean levels by more than a millimeter a year, CNN reported. And sea levels are expected to increase by around three feet by century's end. This makes storms and hurricanes much more dangerous. Located 25 miles north of Las Vegas, the Desert National Wildlife Refuge is the largest such refuge in the lower 48 states. Now the U.S. Air Force wants to expand its bombing range within the refuge by 300,000 acres on land that has long been considered sacred to the southern Paiute Nation. The refuge and Sheep Mountain Range within it hold special meaning for the Paiute people. The landscape is central to the tribe's history, stories, and beliefs, but has been under constant attack by the Air Force for decades. Cultural sites, bighorn sheep, and the endangered desert tortoise exist within the refuge, which has long been within the bombing practice area of Air Force pilots. The Paiute people contend that the expansion would inflict permanent damage on this sacred site 
and violate the tribe's sovereignty. In 2018, the Moapa Band of Paiutes passed a resolution opposing expansion of the Nevada Test and Training Range into the refuge. The Las Vegas Paiute tribe passed a similar resolution in 2019. The resolutions not only rejected expansion of the bombing range, but also the Air Force's jurisdiction within the refuge. The tribal councils passed both resolutions unanimously. As sovereign nations, the tribes believe their will must be acknowledged and respected. The Wyoming Department of Environmental Quality recently authorized construction of the state's first new coal mine in decades. Coal burning is one of the major contributors to the climate crisis, and coal burning power plants are under tremendous pressure to shut down permanently. A new coal mine would exacerbate the problem of global heating at a time when renewable energy is more accessible than ever, and the world must move away from fossil fuels. Mining coal involves tearing masses of rock and dirt from the surface of coal deposits so that the coal can be extracted, scarring the landscape. Burning coal releases a conglomeration of harmful gases into the atmosphere, including climate-destroying carbon dioxide. It also emits sulfur dioxide, which creates acid rain, and mercury and other heavy metals that can cause neurological damage in humans. Opponents argue that there is no excuse for permitting a new coal mine at a time when clean, green power is available. In fact, earlier this year, the use of renewable energy overtook coal power for the first time in 135 years. Opponents hope that public pressure can force the Wyoming Department of Environmental Quality to revoke the permit for this new coal mine. Bomb disposal teams arrived at and personnel were evacuated from the Salafield nuclear power site in the UK recently after a routine inspection revealed the presence of unstable, dangerous, potentially explosive chemicals on site. Salafield is Europe's largest and most dangerous nuclear power plant. According to the Beyond Nuclear Bulletin, quote, organic peroxide, an unstable compound that can ignite a runaway scenario was removed from the Magnox reprocessing plant, which separates plutonium from irradiated reactor fuel, end quote. A UK nuclear expert says that Sellafield has 154 tons of plutonium stored on site, as well as massive amounts of highly radioactive and chemically toxic liquid nuclear waste stored in tanks that are falling apart and urgently need repairs. The plutonium at Sellafield is the world's largest single stockpile of the element. Only a tiny fraction of the plutonium stored at Sellafield was enough to kill 70,000 people from the atomic bomb dropped on Nagasaki 75 years ago. The New York Times has reported that the Trump administration formally weakened a major climate change regulation, effectively freeing oil and gas companies from the need to detect and repair methane leaks. New research shows that far more of the potent greenhouse gas is seeping into the atmosphere than previously known. The rollback of the last major Obama-era climate rule is a gift to many oil and gas companies. 
but it comes as scientists say that the need to rein in methane leaks at fossil fuel wells nationwide has become far more urgent. New studies indicate that the scale of methane pollution could be driving the planet toward a climate crisis faster than expected. Andrew Wheeler, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, said he has been, quote, working hard to fulfill President Trump's promise to cut burdensome and ineffective regulations for our domestic energy industry, end quote. Nuclear power plants aren't a good investment. A new report from Moody's Investors Services finds that dozens of U.S. nuclear power plants, quote, will face growing credit risks, end quote, in the next 10 to 20 years because of their physical vulnerability to the ever-worsening extremes of the climate crisis. The report cites flooding, hurricanes, severe heat and water shortages as impacting nuclear power plant owners' credit ratings unless they find effective mitigating solutions. All the leading financial services had already warned nuclear plant owners that new construction would cause a credit downgrade. A so-called nuclear renaissance was supposed to take place but never did. Only four new reactors ever went forward, with two now canceled before completion. Almost half of U.S. reactors were identified in Moody's report as being at financial risk because of the climate crisis. The report says, quote, the consequences of climate change can affect every aspect of nuclear power operations, from fuel handling and power and steam generation to maintenance, safety systems, and waste processing, end quote. The highest risk category includes three plants at risk of flooding. Some 13 plants are at high risk from heat stress. The high-risk categories of hurricanes, sea level rise, and water stress each contain one plant. The Democratic Party made the curious move of removing a ban on fossil fuel subsidies from its platform last week as its convention kicked off. The move, which also backtracked from a clean energy commitment, raised the ire of environmental activists However, presidential nominee Joe Biden, who will steer the party's agenda if elected, has recommitted to a ban on fossil fuel subsidies, as The Verge reported. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about Purdue University and carbon footprint. A diverse coalition of more than 70 student and community organizations has sent a letter to Purdue University President Mitch Daniels asking the former Indiana governor to commit the school to join local efforts to address climate change. The letter asks Daniels to commit the school to carbon neutrality by 2030 and to pursue other goals that would reduce the university's climate change impact to the school's home city, West Lafayette. The letter is supported by multiple Purdue student organizations and a wide array of groups from West Lafayette and throughout Indiana. Group members said several Indiana legislators representing Tippecanoe County, including Senator Ronnie Alting, a Republican, and Representative Chris Campbell, a Democrat, also signed the letter. Iris O'Donnell Belisario, a West Lafayette native and recent Purdue graduate, is one of the activists behind the letter. She said the university's greenhouse gas emissions are preventing the city from making lasting changes to reduce climate change impact. So I just 
Describe us as a collective of um, Purdue graduates, Purdue students, and high school students in the community. And so our kind of goal is to get Purdue to do a couple of things. The first one is adapt a carbon neutrality goal or plan, and then relocate their sustainability office from their facilities to the administrative side of campus. And so although the city can make a lot of changes and actions that will kind of vaguely impact the community, it would be absolutely phenomenal to see Purdue University jump on and collaborate with them so that we could kind of get rid of all of the community emissions as a whole. The City of West Lafayette performed a greenhouse gas inventory and accounting of all of the sources of greenhouse gas emissions in the city in 2017. It found that a vast majority, 70% of the city's total 411 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent were emitted by industrial energy sources. Purdue University is powered by steam generated from its Wade Utility Plant, which has three natural gas boilers and one powered by burning coal. The plant emits 280,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent a year, accounting for nearly all of the emissions caused by industrial energy sources in the city. Ethan Bledsoe, a student at West Lafayette Junior Senior High School, is one of the youth activists behind the letter. Purdue is still in West Lafayette City, right? And so like the city of West Lafayette cannot truly make sustainability efforts or like lower their carbon emissions hardly at all if Purdue does not like hop on. So although the city could do amazing things, right? And like try their best and like get to completely carbon neutral, they would still not be carbon neutral because there's this huge entity that we're not looking at. Therefore, in order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens, the United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. In 2017, soon after President Donald Trump announced he would pull the U.S. out of an international effort to take action on climate change known as the Paris Agreement, West Lafayette City leaders led by Mayor John Dennis passed a resolution to adopt and support the goals of the agreement. The following year, the city worked with Purdue engineers to develop a climate plan to achieve a 20% reduction in the greenhouse gas emitted by the city's departments by 2020. The city's wastewater treatment department pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions 50% by 2025. Streets and sanitation optimized trash and recycling pickup routes to reduce emissions impact from vehicles and increase collection of recyclable materials. Other departments found multiple ways to mitigate emissions. The city also worked with youth activists, including Bledsoe and O'Donnell Belisario, to pass a climate resolution in October 2019 that would set a goal to reduce the city's greenhouse gas emissions by 20% every four years. The city has also made improvements around the city to help reduce its carbon footprint, including adding more trails to make the city more bicycle friendly, planting more trees along roadways, and adopting use of an anaerobic digester to encourage composting and reduce landfill use. The goal has been to improve the health and quality of life of West Lafayette residents now and in the future but that goal is complicated by Purdue University's emissions. The activists said they want to start a conversation with Daniels to see what can be done to reduce the university's carbon footprint. 
the main thing we're asking is to have a conversation with them. Like that's because we want it to be like not a one-sided where we're just telling them what to do and then they do it. We want them to voice their concerns and so then they can be addressed now rather than down the line because we only have like, I think like a decade to get our act together, you know? Purdue does have some plans to limit its greenhouse gas emissions on campus. The university released a new physical facilities sustainability master plan in April that contains the school's sustainability plans for the next five years. Purdue plans to cut in half direct and indirect carbon emissions by 2025, cap energy consumption at 2011 levels, and pursue 500 kilowatts of renewable energy. It also plans to reduce water consumption, reduce waste, plant one tree a day, and pursue other sustainability goals. The school said more has been achieved in the past few years than in all of Purdue's prior history, and they're glad to hear any ideas that students may have beyond current measures. The youth activist behind the letter said that the university is capable of doing much more than it is currently planning. This is Annabelle Procopia, junior at West Lafayette Junior Senior High. Purdue is a major institution, and the fact that they haven't made much progress regarding climate action is not okay, and institutions are not exempt from carbon neutrality goals, so they need to step up and take leadership. Until recently, Purdue was near the bottom of the list of Big Ten schools with sustainability plans. Indiana University, Ohio State, Illinois, Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Maryland all plan to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. The University of Michigan plans for eventual carbon neutrality, but has set a modest 25% reduction goal by 2025 or earlier. Iowa, Michigan State, and Penn State have set ambitious 2020 goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and vastly increase renewable energy use. Rutgers University and the University of Wisconsin have begun the process to draw up sustainability plans, but have not yet committed to a goal. Until April, Purdue University did not even have a limited greenhouse gas emissions goal. The youth activists continue to hope that the cradle of astronauts does more to contribute to the air quality in West Lafayette. I 100% believe they are capable. I think they have some amazing climate scientists on campus who are already, who are looking at what are the specific impacts we're gonna see at a county level. And so I think if we can narrow down these large impacts to that specific, we can also harness the brilliant minds we have on campus to create solutions to create a carbon neutral campus. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op groceries since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. 
All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. A volunteer opportunity is available for you at McCormick's Creek State Park on Friday, August 28th from 10 a.m. to noon. One aspect of increased visitation this year has been increased trash. Meet in front of the canyon in ready to hike to the falls for a trash cleanup day. Bring gloves and water. Increase your flora identification skills at the Flora Field Day at Moores Creek State Recreation Area on Tuesday, September 1st from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Field Day emphasis is on proper use and application of an ID key, which opens the door to identifying thousands of species. Bring Newcomb's Wildflower Guide, Bug Spray, a hat, and a water bottle. Registration on the INDNR website is required by August 30th. A full harvest moon hike will take place at Spring Mills State Park on Friday, September 4th from 9 to 11 p.m. Meet at the Spring Mill Inn for a 2.5-mile hike on Trail 3 where you will learn history and folklore about the harvest moon. How many of you out there enjoy the TV show Survivor? Now you have an opportunity to compete in a Survivor Challenge at Brown County State Park on Sunday, September 6th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Teams must have five members, one of which must be 10 years old or younger. Each member will compete in one timed event. Whichever team completes all five challenges in the shortest amount of time wins. Sign up the morning of the event Competition begins at 1 p.m. The Indiana Audubon Society will host its annual fall birding gathering at Fort Harrison State Park on Saturday, September 26th. Enjoy birdwatching activities while social distancing. Register at indianaaudubon.org slash events. For more information about the weekend festival, Call 219-728-8351. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar power systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.
You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.